Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 78 Lost in Translation Imagine you're pregnant, you're giving birth. It's one of the most momentous events in your life. But you can't communicate with anyone around you. You don't speak the language. You can't understand what they're telling you. You can't ask questions. Giving birth and being pregnant is a very vulnerable time for anyone. But for women that don't speak English... I can't imagine anything more disempowering and frightening than that. This is the reality for some people using maternity services. The numbers may be very small. We're still waiting for the results of the 2021 census. But looking back to the previous census in 2011, this recorded that 1.3% of the population of England and Wales could speak English, but not well. And that 0.3% of the population reported they could not speak English at all. 0.3% of the population is hardly anything, right? Well, actually, that's 138,000 people. The data also shows there's slight gender disparity with slightly higher numbers of women being unable to speak English at all. And the biggest gender discrepancy being in the Asian Bangladeshi and Asian Pakistani populations. 16% of Pakistani girls and women and 21.9% of Bangladeshi girls and women couldn't speak English well or at all, compared respectively with 6.5% of Pakistani boys and men and 10.8% of Bangladeshi boys and men. This means that whilst just 1.6% of the population couldn't speak English well or at all, around 6 in 10 of these were girls or women, just over half a million people. Of course, the numbers vary greatly by geography. I work in London Research in London in primary schools looking at the language spoken at home has suggested that up to 250 languages are spoken. That's a very diverse group of languages. When I was at the London Maternity Clinical Network, I wanted to try and look at that. What experience do women who do not speak English have in our maternity services? What access do they have to antenatal education? and antenatal care? And how do they feel when they're giving birth? And what are we doing as healthcare providers 
to try and meet their needs and provide them with an equal service. Some might say the responsibility sits with the women, but I think the responsibility sits firmly with us. Yes, of course, we need initiatives to teach English. And certainly in my area, there is an organisation that helps teach women English at home. But the reason I see it as our responsibility is in the Embrace report into maternal mortality in 2020. 22 of the 566 women that died in the last triennium did not speak English. Again, small numbers, 22. But that's 3.8% of the overall maternal deaths, which means that women that don't speak English are disproportionately represented in the women that died. Not speaking the language of the country in which you are living should not be a reason to die during your maternity care in this day and age in a developed country. In some areas of the UK, people are trying to tackle this discrepancy. There's a fantastic initiative, BL3 in Bolton, led by Banash, who is doing a massive amount to tackle health inequalities in South Asian and ethnic minority communities. There are also initiatives in London. The NHS has some guidance across all healthcare settings on the provision of interpreting services. These should be free and allow people who do not speak English or who are not fluent in English to have equal access to provision of healthcare and good healthcare information so that they can make informed choices. This guidance is clear and of good quality. Much of it is common sense and it describes quite obvious standards that should be achieved. Every maternity service in the country, if asked, can tell you what they have in place, what their policies are and what provision they have and how they go about it. But I would say it's when we attempt to put it into practice in the clinical setting that the real difficulties arise. I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens on the ground. The Happy Baby Community Report on their work with birth companions, doulas, with women with multiple disadvantage in London, interviewed women. And although the numbers are very small, 57% of women reported no one interpreted for them during labour if they were on their own. And even with a doula, 17% of them, again, reported no one interpreted for them. 45% of women reported not being offered a telephone interpreter during labour or birth. With the numbers being small, it's easy to put that down to inaccuracy, small numbers, inadequate data. That's why I want to talk about what's actually happening day to day in maternity services. Over the course of my career, I've seen a radical change in provision of interpreting services. When I started over 25 years ago, interpreters were face to face. 
and I do acknowledge this isn't necessarily the most efficient use of interpreting services. Sometimes an interpreter would be sat in the waiting room as the clinic was running late, which is a waste of their valuable time. We would have to sign timesheets. They might interpret for one woman in perhaps an hour, but they were there, physically present, as people. When I worked in East London, the numbers of women who did not speak English at that time were so significant that when I worked in the diabetic antenatal clinic, which has a very high proportion of women from ethnic minorities, the interpreter would literally stay in the room with us and be a constant presence because she would need to interpret for almost every woman that came through the door. The interpreter was as much a part of our team. But over time, there's been a move to telephone interpretation. Mainly, it's a cost-cutting exercise. And this leads to real problems. It's hard, even as the most compassionate clinician, not to have a heart-sink moment in clinic when you're told the next woman needs language line or big word, whichever service you're using. Sometimes, if you're lucky, a double appointment has been booked so that you do have a bit more time to have the conversation. But often, this is not the case. And although the guidance stipulates that having continuity in interpreting services in maternity so that the same interpreter is used for each appointment is mentioned in the guidance, I have never actually come across this in reality. The first problem is the hardware. You go to the midwife's office, you get out a little box, it has an extra handset for the telephone and some connectors you go and plug this into your phone. If you're lucky, you can get all the bits to fit together. You can remember how they fit together. And this leaves you with one handset and the woman with another. Both connected into the same telephone. Then you dial the number. Then you have to put in your organisation's code, usually on a scrappy piece of paper with the handset. Then you have to pick the option of which language you would like and enter that code. Then you have to hold. While the most intensely infuriating, irritating Muzak plays to you and the woman in front of you. Some of the time you can't get the bits to fit together. Some of the time you can't reassemble the phone afterwards. Some of the time you can be holding on a long time. Okay, we're in the modern era. I have my mobile phone on me. Why not use that and put it on speakerphone? So I can do that. Then I've still got to enter the organisational code, enter the language code and hold on. What then if there's no one available? I've spent ages hanging on in clinic with the music playing, me and the pregnant woman looking at one another, only after many, many minutes of hanging on to be told, sorry, there's no one available. 
This can happen with more unusual languages. In my case, it was Japanese. You wouldn't imagine that that was a totally outlandish request. Okay, let's be optimistic. You get through. You introduce yourself. You start to talk. And we're taught to talk to the woman. So you don't say, tell her this, this and this. You talk as if you're talking to the woman because it's her consultation. Sometimes this can be awkward. I don't remember at medical school having any training about how to do this. Maybe now in modern training, medical students do get this and think about this and how to have these conversations and how to break down the information into smaller sentences. You have to keep stopping the conversation so that the translator can relay the information to the woman. The woman can say something back that can then be relayed back to you. You have to keep checking, has the woman understood? Sometimes it's really difficult because I have no idea what they're actually saying. Are they actually saying what I'm saying? Are they translating it word for word? Sometimes I might say something that seems quite long and the interpreter might say something very, very short. I wonder if some of the nuance of what I'm saying and the way in which I'm saying it is being lost. I know that sometimes there are difficulties because you can't actually translate word for word. I discussed this once at a meeting. We had a a group table discussion at an event and I was sitting next to someone who spoke Urdu and they explained to me, Florence, in Urdu there's no word for depression. So like for like translation may not be feasible. So when you're thinking the interpreter's not saying very much or are they really translating what I'm saying, it just may not be possible and they've got to adapt to something that actually works in that language. I find it hard to discuss intimate issues when there's that third party stranger on the phone and although it may not matter, sometimes that person on the phone translating is a man and I wonder how comfortable women are with disclosing things with a man that they don't know on the phone and also even if it's not a man with with any stranger on the phone it's a different relationship between the doctor or midwife and that pregnant woman when there's another party involved Will the pregnant woman open up and tell me things? Will she talk to me about how she's really feeling? Sometimes the responses can be monosyllabic and I worry that she's finding it too difficult. Sometimes there's a baffling situation in which nothing's said. I might say a whole sentence or ask a woman a question and almost nothing comes out of the translator and then the woman doesn't respond and I think where's that gone are you actually interpreting 
And what about other alternatives? Is it okay to use a woman's partner? The NHS guidance specifically says not to use family members. Discussing how this puts family members under pressure. And in maternity services, I wonder if that means the woman isn't in control. Her partner or family member is interpreting. There's a tricky issue. Do they want her to have all the information I'm giving her? It starts to make you wonder how much you can trust what is being said. And what about when a woman or a couple say they don't want an interpreter, that the partner is going to translate? I find that really hard because you may effectively be saying, I don't trust your partner to tell you the information. And this is your partner who is involved in the birth of this baby and is one of the parents of this baby. And I'm saying I don't trust you enough that I have to get a complete stranger to interpret instead. Is that really the view we want to communicate by giving them an impartial translator? And is it right for me as a doctor to insist on an interpreter if a woman and her partner say they don't want one? I find that hard. And I've also had a woman say she doesn't want an interpreter And so I carry on the conversation and it's really clear to me that she's not gathering all the information I'm discussing because when I ask her questions or ask her for her response about something I've said, she nods and gives one word answers. Or maybe she has understood and it's my preconceived judgment, but maybe she can't articulate her response. Maybe she can understand, but she can't speak. Either way, it's rife with difficulties. And what about using a child? I've definitely come across that in my career, even though The guidance strictly says not to use a child. Children often have better English than their parents, usually because they're learning it at school. And again, I understand why we shouldn't use a child and why that might traumatise a child. But if a woman and her family have decided that that's what they prefer, is that okay for me to put that judgment on them? I'm not talking tiny children here. I'm talking 10, 12, an age at which having a discussion about pregnancy is within the capability of the child, certainly. And what about other staff members? For a while, we had a really sensible rule where 
we had a record of people across the hospital who spoke different languages. And when you needed someone to interpret, you could ring switchboard and say, is there anyone that speaks, I don't know, Bulgarian or Somali? And they would tell you, oh yeah, so-and-so is on this ward, you could try there. And that was really helpful. And then more recently, for some reason, the guidance stated that you couldn't have another staff member translate. And I found that really odd because why could they not translate for me? They could carry on care for that woman in her native tongue and perhaps their native tongue, but they couldn't interpret for me that didn't speak that language. And again, that came back to, do we not trust staff members to be able to interpret to the right quality? And was that not a good solution? And you might think nowadays with technology, well, we could just use Google Translate. But actually, that's expressly documented in the NHS guidance as not to be used because of concerns about inaccuracies. So even though there have been technological advances, we're officially not supposed to use them. So I find on the whole translation and interpreting services for families under my care who don't speak English an immense problem. And I don't have all the answers. Far from it. Just before I left the London Clinical Network, we were trying to do a survey of women's experience of maternity care translation services across London and also a survey of health professionals, doctors and midwives about how they actually experienced those interpreting services. The pandemic got in the way somewhat and the work's been delayed but I know it is happening and I think it's important because it it shows the gap between what we think is happening and what should be happening and what is actually happening and what are these women experiencing. Thankfully, there is a lot more awareness because of the Embrace reports that providing information for women and families in different languages is more and more important and therefore resources translated into different languages are becoming increasingly available. So my zesty bit today is know your way round resources and what's available and I've put some links in the program notes because actually there's quite a lot available A number of different charities focusing on different pregnancy complications have now had their information leaflets translated into a number of languages. And I can't help but think that these are not widely enough known about. And if you've done a project at your organisation translating useful pregnancy information into different languages in your area, then please share it. Really, we need some sort of central maternity repository of 
useful pregnancy information in different languages so that up and down the country, women can access information that they can understand. And the other aspect of the zesty bit is if you think a woman doesn't understand, then however exhausted you are, however much of a pain it is, however heart sink it is, you need to try and access the correct interpreting services for her and take that time to make sure that she has equitable care as if she spoke English. If you're a pregnant woman listening to this, I appreciate this podcast isn't accessible to women that don't speak English in its current form. But maybe if you're a member of a maternity voice partnership or you know women that don't speak English, you could use some of the links to provide women that you know with the right information in their language. Maybe you speak more than one language and maybe you could get involved in your local maternity service in translating some of their information leaflets. Or maybe you could help identify where the gaps are, what information was the most important for you and has that been translated? Or maybe in your line of work or your life, you have lots of experience of using translation or interpreting services and you've got some great suggestions as to how your local maternity service might do better. Sometimes we're too reluctant in the NHS to borrow from other organisations and look up and out and think about new ideas. So maybe you're listening to this and you are a translator and you have lots of ideas. In which case, fantastic, bring it on. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Obs Pod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FWMaternity or at The Obs Pod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the OBSPOD to friends or colleagues and please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.